the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. This is Palm Sunday, so we enter into Easter week, and we're in a series called The Community of the Crucified King. We've been looking at uh, how when Christ died on the cross, it actually shaped all the things that shaped and formed our community as the people of God. Today, uh, I want to talk just about this week, what this week is for us as that community. I was speaking with a friend this week and just um, some things that he was sharing about uh, the reality that all of us get very religious during this week, right? And, and it's a true, it's, it's true. As we talked, I thought he had some amazing kind of points that I wanted to share with you guys. But the fact is that for whatever reason, as a culture, like Easter week, like it matters. We're gonna, they show, uh, Religious services on Good Friday. They show them on the TV for hours. People wear suits. They buy yellow ties. They wear them to church. It's amazing. You'll see them next week. And what would cause us to sort of go, it's, it's Easter, so now I need to go to church. But lots of people are going to do it. For the second time, kind of Easter and Christmas. There is a religion that we get caught up in. And it happens to us too. And so what I'm concerned about, what I want to protect, and I want to invite all of us to participate in, is what does it mean for us to not get caught up in the religious trappings of Easter, but actually participate in kind of the glorious proclamation that our king is alive, our crucified king is risen. What it, how would we do that? What does it look like uh, for us to do that? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. You can go there in your iPad. There's a hologram in your pew. Hard to believe they made those in the 70s, but they did. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away, it withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
So the scene is this. Jesus is speaking with his disciples in, his up, in the upper room. And he is about to go uh, to the garden. And he's about to get arrested and beaten and crucified. Okay? So he's about to die. When he sits with them and he chooses his words, this is the last speech, the last time that he's going to be speaking with them. And if you've ever had someone close to you die and you had that opportunity to speak with them for the last time, then you know that the the things you talk about are not trivial. They're the most important things. They're the things that that matter. And they're words of relationship. They're memories and stories that are being told. There's goodbyes being said. Those are heavy moments, but they're meaningful moments. This is one of those moments, right? Jesus is going to tell them the most important things. And he paints a picture for them. He paints a picture of their relationship. Who are you to me? What do you mean to me? Right? He essentially tells us here that he wants relationship and that he hates religion. So he picks this vine metaphor. And in this vine metaphor, he's he's saying, I'm the vine. I am the vine. You're the branches. And so how does the relationship work between a vine and a branch? Well, it it only works one way, and that's as long as the branch is connected to the vine, right? So when when you prune a bush, when you cut down branches from your tree, they die. It's very clear. So when he speaks about the spiritual life to them, when he talks to them about what matters most, it is that you and I would be in a deep, intimate connection. And that the result of this relationship would be that you bear fruit, that your life would look like the life of Jesus. When he he talks about a non-fruit-bearing life, a non-relational spirituality, he, he says it's worthless. He essentially says religion is worthless. Like if you try to disconnect, if you try to live this spiritual life apart from me, you will wither, you will die. It'll be worthless. You can do nothing apart from me. Religion is something that we're all susceptible to. I've talked about this before, whether it's a a religious kind of organizational religion or it's a secular religion. We look for things that we can control so that we can feel like we're somehow in charge of our life and where we end up. So we earn, we try to earn God's acceptance or we try to justify our lives by being super liberal, super conservative, super uh, environmental, and su- whatever those things are, and they're not always bad things, but they're still things that we look to to justify ourselves. And this week, many people will get dressed up and try to justify themselves. Like, I went to church, 
as if God's going, awesome, I rose from the dead. Thanks for giving an hour of your life to, to thinking about that. You know, like, well, it's the least we could do. He did resurrect and it's impressive. So, so, so it gets into this weird sort of, he did that for me, I'll do this for him, and I hope he likes my tie. As opposed to a relationship of connection. And he says, if that's your mindset, if that's your mentality, it's completely worthless. It's about as effective as going to a vineyard and cutting off all the branches on the vine and then coming back six months later and wondering why you can't pick grapes from those branches. It doesn't work. It's useless. It's worthless. Because those, re- those branches are no longer in relationship to the vine. It's like this really simple picture. So what do we do? And he says, remain. Stay connected to me. Right? It's all about relationship at that point. It's about the fact that you would know the son and that you would love the son because the son has loved you. And that you would worship the son and the Father by the Spirit, and that you would pray, you'd read your Bible, you'd, you'd be connected, you'd serve, you'd love, you'd give, you'd live a generous life. But none of those things create the relationship. They're just byproducts of it. They're just part of remaining. They're part of ensuring that you don't become disconnected and think for like a second that you can do this thing by yourself. Probably one of the strongest statements that he makes to them. And again, these are last words. As he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's funny he'd be so clear, and yet we'd still think, well, there's got to be something. There's still a little piece. There's still, he's like, no, nothing in the Greek means nothing. It's impressive. You can do nothing. So why do we keep trying? We keep trying because relationship is scary. I mean, that's the truth. If you want my actions, if you want my behaviors, I I can give you that. But if you want my heart, you want my life, (laughs) you want my emotions, my affections, my desires, my dreams, my motives, like you want that stuff that's scary. Scary either because of shame or self-protection or the fact that you know that those things that he says, yeah, I want to be in relationship with all of you, that there's a whole bunch of things in there that are not the kind of things that would please him. So you back off. You back off as if you could say, well, one day I'll get that stuff in order and then we'll have relationship. And he'll say, oh, I'm sorry, by then you are a withered, useless branch. Like the only way this thing's gonna work is by being connected. And then, as you grow, as the relationship strengthens, as you drink longer and longer from the vine, things start showing up on the doorstep of your life. Things like love and peace. Things like joy, things that, like Jesus. 
And that's called fruit. And fruit is not production. Like you don't start a grape factory, right? What do you do? We make grapes here. No, you start a vineyard. You have to grow something organically. The spiritual life is not production. You don't sign up and go to this thing and say, I'm going to produce Jesus. You stay connected. At the core of this thing, it's that Jesus wants relationship. And he wants relationship with you. Now, that's a message that we have the opportunity this week to get out. There's a whole bunch of religion in our culture uh, and in our hearts and in our, our friends' hearts that Jesus wants to kill, right? He wants to destroy that religion. And we have an opportunity to invite people into the real story, which is a story of relationship. So when we pass out these cards, it's not some goofy agenda for a production. Like we're putting on a show. Come Sunday, watch Jesus rise from the dead, right? It's gonna be great. But as the community of the crucified and risen king, we participate in this week. And the way that we participate is that as his disciples, as those who are connected to the vine, we help people understand the reality of the relationship. And we invite them into it. And so when we give you this and it says here's Good Friday and Easter, it's so that you can participate. This isn't an, a you-us thing, it's a we thing. And we are the people. We are the community of the king. We're the ones responsible to share the news, right? And this is a week that we get to do that together. So as you think about the people in your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your friends, your family members, who is it that God's putting on your heart to pray for that you would bring Friday and you'd bring Sunday and you'd let, you'd let the message sort of permeate and break down these goofy man-made rules and capture their heart in a relationship of love with Jesus. You and I are, that's not proselytizing, right? It's relationship. Look with me at verse nine. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. Jesus calls you his friend. 
right? These are his last words. It's the night of his betrayal. He gathers the disciples together. They've called him rabbi. They've called him master. They've called him teacher. They've called him Christ, the son of God. And now he says, but, but I call you friend. As religious as a culture can get, whether secularly or kind of in a Christian sense of religion, or there really isn't one, but in a religious sense of religion, the problem that it can never get to is the issue of loneliness. And you and I are a socially constructed people, so loneliness is a massive issue for the human soul, the human heart. But you can go back all the way to when you were a kid and realize the power of friendship, right? Remember in school where, like your first day of school, you're worried that you won't have any friends. Like, will I have friends? Will I make friends? If you're a parent, you worry about this for your kid. Am I the only one who was worried about that? (laughs) But something's very different when you make those friends. My son is an eighth grader, well, one of my sons, and he's a wrestler in the last two or three years. He's, he's, he's living the life of a wrestler. And so he practices with the eighth grade team, and then he gets to go over and hang out with the high school team. So David Douglas is the high school he goes to, to take state this year. In wrestling, a couple of the seniors are state champions. Uh, a Turkish guy who is a scary specimen of muscle, and an African American kid who is just a beast and destroys people. And those people are my son's heroes, right? Obviously. So we're at a match, and all the state champions come to hang out at the match for the eighth graders. And he's been practicing with them, and they walk in, and they're like, hey, Bryce, what's up? Slap him. Hey, Bryce, what's up? And Bryce is standing there like. <laughs> Two seconds later, it was like, that's right. You know, it was like, he'll wrestle anybody. He'll take anybody at this point. Why? Because he's connected to them, right? And those guys make it okay. I'm not alone. They know my name, Right? There was something about that connection that puts like a swagger into his step. And even though he's 115 pounds of packed TNT, uh, (laughs) he'd take out the heavyweight in that moment and go, hey, even if I can't, they got my back, you know, so I'm okay. Having that friend when he walks into high school, right, that changes the fear. You're not alone. You're not alone. Not just not alone, but you actually have a couple studly friends, you know? What does friendship with Jesus mean, though? Does that change anything about the way you encounter life? The way you struggle with loneliness? Does it mean anything about the way that you would interact with people around you? Does it have anything to do with your pain, your self-pity, the places you go to in those dark moments? Does any of that change when Jesus looks you in the eye and says, you are my friend? Like, I want 
you as a friend. I call you friend. And then he starts talking about obedience. And so you're almost like, man, you hit me with this friend thing. And you're like, but obey me. That freaks me out. But, but the, the language of obedience here is not a work, but it's a devotion. It's fidelity to the relationship. He's saying, remain in my love. And here's my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love you? He loved you as the way the Father loved him. So you have this cascading effect of love from the Father to the Son, to you, and from you to others. That is not religion. That is the revolution of the gospel. That is the reality that every human soul was created to be in relationship with their creator. And you and I are invited now to participate as a community of people who have been named friends of the king. So inviting people, deconstructing religion, all of that doesn't come out of this obedience mentality like, oh, I gotta do this to make sure Jesus likes me. It comes out of a devotion to Jesus, yes, He says, I've told you everything. I've let you in on my teaching, my agenda for the world, what I'm about. And what I'm about is reaching past religion and resurrecting dead human hearts and making them alive with my resurrection life. And I want you to be my friend, to participate with me in that agenda. We all have to work together to fight this religious kind of mentality. The week after Easter, we're gonna start a series on Galatians. That's a series that's basically saying, how does this old gospel continue to bring new life? How do we walk in this faith that we've been given? It'll be great for all of us, but it'll be great for people that you would invite as well. We'll have two classes, one class will be for people who are exploring faith, who go, I have questions about God and justice and wrath and all these things, and, and they will be going through all those hard questions in that class. The other class will be for people who are just beginning to follow Jesus, right? So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? All of these are about this message. They're about helping people experience friendship with God through Jesus Christ. And you and I are the ones who work together to, to announce that, to bring and to include and to invite. And, and the motivation for that should be joy, right? I know Portland is a gnarly can be a gnarly sort of post-Christian culture. But when you get friendship with the king and you see the destruction of religious lives, whether secular or quote-unquote religious, then you should feel a joy to know that it is a loving thing 
to invite people to see the king, to experience the friendship that, that you've been given. Another way that I would invite some of you to participate is on Easter we do baptisms. We take this giant wall down and there's a giant baptistry back there. It's a diving board, it's huge. Um, but, but, but for those of you who are getting baptized or those of you who are considering, I would say this, when you commit to this sacrament of baptism, and we talked about it last week, you, you participate in bearing witness to this story. Whether you're a 10-year-old that's just going, I, I love Jesus, my parents told me about him and I love him, or you're an older person who's come out of a crazy story, all those stories bear witness that our king is alive and he's still bringing us in to friendship with God. As people go into the water and come out and their stories get proclaimed and we get to celebrate with that, you help participate in sharing the news that Jesus hates religion but he loves you. He, he's all about relationship. So for those of you who are still considering that, please do it. I mean, it is a great, beautiful way that we can tell the story together. Jesus brings us into his life, his teaching, his plan for the world, and he calls us his friends. And that that friendship wasn't to be kind of hoarded, but we're invited to bring other people into the story as well. Look with me at verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command that you would love each other. And so as we come to the close of this passage, he gives us kind of a picture into the language of friendship with God, and it's prayer. And prayer is one of those difficult places because it's perhaps when we get the most religious is when we pray. We pray as though Jesus has never heard us say anything normal before. So when we go to prayer, we make sure it's very flowery. And, Yea, though the Hindus speak of karma, or whatever it is you say. Um, but really, it wasn't to be that. It was to be this language of friendship. And that that language of friendship would be, uh, would be coming to him and saying, I'm asking. I'm asking. I want to remain. I want to bear fruit. I want, I want my friends to know you. I want my family to know you. And he says it up in verse uh, 7 as well. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And so a big part of participating this week is that we'd spend this week as a community in prayer. So tonight at 7 we'll start and we'll pray at 7 p.m. in the prayer space or in here depending on how many people come. And then tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., at noon, at 7 p.m. And all through the week until noon on Good Friday. And then we'll close with these Good Friday services. Those are, that's not a religious duty. It's not a thing that we're being said, well, if we do this, then he'll do this. But it is an invitation to participate in this week, the life of this week, and what Jesus wants to do this week. To come and to pray together. 
to move our hearts towards this deeper appreciation for our friendship with him. To express those hearts in prayers for other people that he's called us to love. To bring the people before him that he's putting on your heart so we can all be praying together for those people. Prayer is this invitation to, 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 to talk, to speak these words of friendship to God. And so, so here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you would carve out an hour or two this week to come and pray. It was, it was in the garden right after this message where Jesus is praying to the Father and he's praying about this cup. And he says, if it's possible... Would you take this cup from me, knowing that he was about to die? And over here, he asked the disciples just to kind of sit and pray. And and the, and the, the verse that always gets me or convicts me is he comes back and what are they doing? They're asleep, right? And he says, could you, could you not pray one hour, you know? And I don't think it's a guilt-bearing thing, but it's a convicting thing. As Jesus prepares for the cross, he asks his disciples to participate with him. He asks his friends to participate with him. And they, they go to bed. We're invited to participate with him. Can we not pray one hour, right? To come and to participate in the greatest historical proclamation of the world. That the God who created all of this became flesh and he moved into our neighborhood. And he went to a cross so that his enemies, which is you and I, could become friends. That's what I want you to think about when you come to this table today. The greatest motivation for you to invite people, for you to get baptized, for you to pray, uh, for you to go to classes, whatever it would be, the greatest motivation is that you actually believe his words when he says, you're my friend, right? And you think about all you've done, think of how you've treated the relationship, how many times you've broken off from the vine and tried to go at it on your own and he still returns to you and says I've already made you clean right? that's what the blood is for that's what the broken body's about but I want you to remain in this friendship remain in my love so I'm calling you hard to participate with us together this Easter but, but above all of that, what I want you to do is I want you to drink deeply. And I want you to taste the bread. And I want you to be named and hear the name, friend, from the lips of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning... We uh, anticipate 
a week, um, a week of remembering and a week of celebrating the greatness of your sacrifice, the power of your resurrection. And we also confess our propensity to, to sit by as spectators and just kind of see it as a production. But Jesus, today I have a couple things. I just ask that, that you would let us hear, feel, experience from your spirit the naming that you give us as your friends. And I ask that that would move us to stay awake and to participate. I ask that you would put on our hearts the people that you love, that you want to come, and you want their religion to be destroyed, whatever version that is, and you want them to know you as their king, and as their friend. This morning, Father, we would ask that um, you would protect us from all these things becoming um, a work of religion and that they would remain a response of devotion. With the great love that you have loved us, I pray we could love you And we could love each other. And so may we testify with our lives this week that the story is real, that the resurrection is true, and that our king is alive. Give us boldness, God, to live it and to announce it and to receive it at this table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.imagodaycommunity.com.